gathered together to worship. Uh, Rachel this morning, Timothy came for a wedding of a college buddy in Huntsville, so Rachel had an opportunity to go see her baby before he flies back to Colorado, so that's where she, which we have come. We have gathered together to worship, and on this particular day, we, we specifically remember the sacrifice of uh, men and women, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and uh, uh, now guardians from the Space Force uh, that have gone before us and uh, given their lives to preserve and secure the freedoms that we enjoy, the freedom to worship and the freedom to gather together. And so uh, remember their sacrifice, and we also remember those family members uh, that all too well know the personal and intimate you know, from personal and intimate experience, the cost of freedom, uh, the price of freedom, the cost of war. And so uh, remember those families that have lost loved ones in defense of our country and honor those that have uh, laid down their lives for us. And so in our call to worship, we will turn to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Psalm 33, the word of the Lord says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is, the, is full of the Lord's goodness. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the mountains of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning to be able to gather together to worship. And Lord, we're thankful for your, your gracious providence and and raising up a, a nation for us, a land for us that uh, is dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, created in your image, and created with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Lord, we thank you for generation after generation of men and women who uh, commit themselves to stand between us and the war's desolation, to fight to defend, and even today as we remember, to lay down their lives in the securing and the defense of our liberty, our freedom. And Lord, we're thankful that we were able to gather together today without any fear, 
that we were able to drive without uh, um, being afraid of an enemy army, that we were able to come together, each carrying our copy of your word, and to sit down and freely hear your gospel, your good news proclaimed. Lord, we thank you for that freedom and those who have laid down their lives to win it for us. And Lord, we thank you for the family members of those uh, who have died in defense of our country. And Lord, we pray that they would be comforted today and that you would uh, just grant them your grace and your peace as they deal with the loss and the sacrifice that has been made on our behalf, Lord. Help them to be encouraged as the nation takes time to remember their sacrifice and to honor them and to uh, give them the respect that they are due. And Lord, we thank you for your gracious providence in, in our nation, in our land. And Lord, we're thankful for your provision for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as much as we love our nation, uh, remind us that that is not the source of our hope, that a king is not saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. But your eye is on those who fear you. And so, Lord, we know that you are sovereign, that you are working your plan and your purpose, and you use means, you use nations, and you use conflict among people, you use all those things for the bringing about of your kingdom. And Lord, we thank you for your grace toward us in Christ Jesus, and we pray that his kingdom would be expanded, that his domain would be uh, uh, increased as we are faithful to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Lord, bless us as we worship. Help us as we seek to worship you in spirit and truth. May your spirit lead us to that end because those are the kind of worshipers you seek. May we be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right, I'd like to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn 300. As we continue to worship this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 25, we're continuing to look at the trials, uh, the legal proceedings against the Apostle Paul, and today we will see a change in his tactics. The mission is the same, to take the name of Christ where it is not known. The strategy is the same through the local church, planning local churches in the cities that he visits, but the tactics change, and today we see a difference in the Apostle Paul's tactics as he uh, changes his approach toward Jerusalem and toward the governing authorities. And so Acts chapter 25, and we'll begin reading in the first verse, Acts chapter 25, verse 1. We believe Luke, the good doctor, a, a companion, a partner of Paul in his mission work, is writing these words, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so he not only writes as a close associate to Paul, but also writing words that are breathed out by God, writing the very words of God. And so Acts chapter 25, the word of the Lord says, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up to Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. 
And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? But Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, if I have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things to which men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for this opportunity that we have to gather together around your word. Lord, we're thankful that you have spoken to us and that you have uh, given us your word as a, as a light to our path, uh, to, to direct our steps, to grant us guidance as we navigate the difficult time as we live in hostile territory, as we live uh, in, in uh, a time when we are awaiting the return of our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that your word would guide us, that it would direct our steps, that it would give us principles to make the decisions that we must make every day. And Lord, that we would educate ourselves in your word, that we would know its principles, and that we would walk in wisdom given by the Holy Spirit in order to live victorious Christian lives in enemy territory. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the point of this passage is pretty clear. Paul changes his tactics. He has allowed himself to be in prison for two years, and he would uh, uh, come before Festus and speak to, uh, I'm sorry, Felix, the previous governor. He would come before Felix and speak to him about, uh, about righteousness, about self-control, and about the judgment that is to come. And we saw that, and Felix left Paul in prison for two years, and from time to time he would call him, and Paul never once asserted his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Caesar. And here we see a change in tactics. Here Paul clearly says, I appeal to Caesar. And the governor, the new governor, Festus, says, well, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. So we see here a change in tactics. And as I was thinking about uh, uh, tactics, the difference between a mission and a strategy in Texas, I was reminded of the, uh, the Persian Gulf War back in 1990. In 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait and occupied, uh, in August of 1990, and occupied all of the territory of Kuwait. And the United States, the President of the United States, the, the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces, gave his armed forces a mission. He gave the armed forces the mission to liberate Kuwait. And then the military leaders were tasked to come up with a strategy, an overall strategy to accomplish the mission that the commander-in-chief had given them, a strategy to liberate Kuwait. 
And that strategy included assembling a coalition of international forces and sending two U.S. Corps, the 7th Corps and the 18th Airborne Corps, into Saudi Arabia to prepare for an attack into Kuwait. And the strategy would be that the 18th Airborne Corps would conduct a frontal assault on Kuwait, and the 7th Corps in the main attack would do an end around and come into Kuwait to accomplish the mission that had been assigned by the Commander-in-Chief to liberate Kuwait. And so we have a mission liberate Kuwait, and then we have a military strategy, an international coalition led by two U.S. corps that would uh, attack the enemy forces with the goal of accomplishing the mission, the liberation of Kuwait. The mission, the strategy, and then within that are tactics. And so we have the strategy, there will be an attack, and then at the tactical level, there were soldiers and uh, Marines and airmen in the air and sailors uh, uh, providing naval gunfire. And so all of those tactics were the individual steps by the individual soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines to carry out the strategy to accomplish the mission. So there was the preparation of the battlefield with artillery. Preparation, uh, the uh, lower level commanders would find objectives. That objective would be prepared with artillery fire. There would be a movement to contact by the infantry and the armor. And then uh, after the movement to contact, there would be actions on the objective. The infantry soldiers would dismount and they would defeat decisively the enemy forces, the enemy army, therefore fulfilling the strategy to accomplish the mission of the liberation of Kuwait. And so there's the mission, there's the strategy of how that mission will be accomplished, and then there are the tactics the individual step-by-step actions that are taken in accordance with the strategy to accomplish the mission. And why do I tell you all of this? Well, not just because it's Memorial Day and we're patriotic today, but uh, to to, kind of illustrate what's happening in this text. You see, in this text, just like in the liberation of Kuwait, there is a mission, there is a strategy, and then there are tactics. There are the individual actions that Christians take in accomplishment of the mission in accordance with the strategy. And so what is the mission? What is Paul's mission? Well, Paul's mission was given to him in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, when Ananias was sent to Paul. Ananias was reluctant to go because he knew that this man, Saul, at that time, was arresting Christians and taking them into prison, and he had come to Damascus with authorizations from the chief priest, the high priest, to arrest anyone who was the follower of the way of the cross, anyone who was a Christian, a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, to arrest them and bind them and bring them to Jerusalem that they might be punished. And so Ananias was reluctant to go and meet this man Saul, but the Lord Jesus told Saul that he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That's Paul's mission statement. The mission that Paul had been given by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his commander-in-chief, is to bear the name of Jesus before Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. That's the mission. And the mission will not change. And the mission of the church, the last words that Jesus spoke to his followers before he ascended into heaven, is to go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's the mission statement of the church to make disciples. 
And the mission is to make disciples. What's the strategy? The strategy is the local church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the strategy. And the mission does not change. The strategy does not change. But the tactics can change. And so here we see Paul's mission statement. He is a chosen vessel to bear the name of Jesus before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. The strategy is to go from town to town where Christ is not known and make him known. To go and preach the gospel, the good news of the gospel of grace that God who is holy, created us in his own image so we could know him. But we all sinned against God. We cut ourselves off from him. We don't deserve anything from God but his wrath. But God in his great love became a man in Christ Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life and then he died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. And now the command goes out to all to repent and believe, to put their trust in Christ and in him alone. And so Paul would go from town to town where Christ was not known. He would make him known by the preaching of this gospel of grace. He would establish a local church, raise up elders, and then he would go to the next town. That was his strategy. Establish local churches, raise up leaders, and then go to another town. And the strategy doesn't really change, but the tactics change. And in this passage, we see a change in Paul's tactics in two specific ways. And remember, tactics are the individual actions, the individual steps that are taken in accordance with the strategy to accomplish the mission. The mission to make disciples, the strategy, the local church, neither one of those things change, but the individual tactics and steps might change. And so let's look at the two ways that Paul changes his tactics. First, he changes his tactics in relationship to Jerusalem. He changes his tactics in relationship to Jerusalem. Now you remember, as we study through the book of Acts, Paul set his face toward Jerusalem. Paul was given the mission to bear the name of Jesus before Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. The strategy was through the local church, and one of the tactics that Paul chose to use in accomplishing that mission in accordance with the strategy was to collect, to make a collection, receive a collection from the Gentile churches to be taken to Jerusalem in order to help the impoverished saints, the poor believers, the, uh, the people in Jerusalem, the saints in Jerusalem that were suffering because of their lack of, of money, lack of resources. And so Paul decided that he would make a collection. And he himself would deliver that collection to Jerusalem. He would go to Jerusalem. That's consistent with his mission to testify, to bear the name of Jesus before the children of Israel. What better place to go than the capital city, to Jerusalem? And so Paul sets his face toward Jerusalem. He is committed, he is dedicated to go to Jerusalem, even though on the way, in every town, he says that he was warned by the Spirit that chains and tribulations awaited him in Jerusalem. He had his face set to Jerusalem. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem no matter what. Even though chains and tribulations awaited him, he was going to go to Jerusalem. And so he set his face to Jerusalem even though every town that he went, the people begged with him, pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit was testifying that chains and tribulation awaited him. And so he was, he was uh, uh, they begged him not to go. 
And yet he'd set his face to Jerusalem. He was committed. Nothing was going to keep him from going to Jerusalem. And then at one place, a prophet of the Lord even came to Paul. A prophet, and he took Paul's belt. And with Paul's belt, he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Spirit of the Lord, the man who owns this belt, Paul, so he will be bound by the Jews and be handed over to the Gentiles. And the people again begged him, his people, his companions, his friends begged him not to go to Jerusalem. And so Paul, the tactics, go to Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem. But now we see a change in his tactics. Now we see that Paul will not go to Jerusalem under any circumstances. He changes his tactics, he appeals his case to Caesar, and he says, I will go to Rome. And we see that in uh, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Felix, the governor, and we saw that Felix was a very experienced governor. He had served a long time and he knew a lot about uh, uh, the way, the Christianity, the Christian faith. His wife was Jewish, he had an understanding of the way, he had a lot of experience, and he was uh, the governor that was judging Paul's case. But then as we saw last week, Felix was replaced by Porcius Festus. Now, Festus was a, a much younger man. Festus did not have the same experience. He had not adjudicated conflicts between Jews and Christians. He did not have a Jewish wife. Uh, and so, uh, so now the situations have, claimed, have changed. And Festus is a new leader, a new governor, and he wants to get off on the right foot. You know, when you're taking a new job, one of the things you want to do is you want to get off on the right foot. You want to figure out what the job is, what the expectations are, what your responsibilities are, and you want to make sure that you do everything to get off on the right foot. And so Festus wants to get off on the right foot, and he goes to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he realizes that he has inherited a pretty significant problem from his predecessor. Felix procrastinated. Felix did not make a decision. He did not render a verdict about Paul. He left him in prison for two years. He brought him to converse with him. He had discussions with him. And uh, uh, he listened to them. And he thought one of two things. Either I'm getting political points from the Jews by keeping Paul locked up. Or maybe Paul and his friends will make a collection and they will offer a bribe and I'll let him go. So Felix didn't deal with it. He didn't resolve the issue. He didn't resolve the case. And now Festus, three days in his tenure, is confronted with this problem, the problem of Paul. So while he's in Jerusalem, the high priest, the chief men of the Jews, informed him against Paul and petitioned him. And they asked a favor. Bring him to Jerusalem so that he might stand trial. And then Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us the real thing that they want. They lay in ambush along the road to kill him. And so you remember back, there were 40 people who had taken a vow that they would not eat or drink until Paul had been killed, till they had killed Paul. And they laid an ambush and they conspired to have the commander bring Paul to the council and they would murder him on the way. Now, two years have passed, and I imagine those guys who made that vow are either really hungry, really thirsty, or maybe they're cheating on their vow. <laughs> you know, but Paul had been locked up for two years, and, and Felix left him locked up as a favor to the Jews 
But they weren't content. They weren't satisfied with Paul just being locked up. They wanted him dead. And so they figured that maybe, you know, Felix is younger, he's less experienced. We might be able to convince him, wanting to get off on the right foot, wanting to make political points with us, we can convince him to bring Paul to Jerusalem that he might stay in trial, and yet we will ambush him on the way and kill him. And so they present this to the governor. But Felix, verse 4, answered and said, Paul should be kept at Caesarea. And I'm going there shortly. And in verse 5 he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. So he said he's a prisoner of the Roman government. The Roman government is responsible for protecting Paul, for giving him due process under the Roman law, to making sure that justice is done. And so he said, I'm going to go to my courtroom and I'll have a hearing about Paul and you are welcome to come and bring whatever accusations that you have. And so that's what happened. After 10 days, he goes back to Caesarea. The next day, they have a hearing. Festus sits on his judgment seat. He commands Paul to be brought. In verse 7, when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul. And so the governor comes in. He sits down at the judgment seat. The prisoner is brought and now the, accusation, the accusers are able to confront him. And the way Luke describes this to me seems like it is a little bit of a disorderly, uh, uh, disorderly event. There's not order, there's not decorum. And, and you notice the accusers have changed their tactics a little bit. You remember before when they had a trial before Felix, they brought a fancy high-priced high lawyer with them. They brought Tertullus. And Tertullus was a skilled orator, one trained in the art of persuasion. And he came and he began just to flatter the governor and to butter him up and to get on his good side so that he might get a favorable hearing. But now the accusers, they didn't bring a lawyer. They didn't bring a trained orator. They didn't bring one that had persuasive speech. Instead, they just stood around and launched their accusations at Paul. They launched their accusations. They stood around and accused him of many serious complaints, weighty charges, heavy accusations. And so they stand around, they're shouting their accusations, they're shouting their charges, they are making their claims that Paul had violated their law, and there's this picture of disorder as everyone is shouting their accusations, maybe kind of like what happened with the mob in in Jerusalem, and the commander couldn't figure out what was going on. People were saying one thing and another. And so the governor hears these accusations, but he also notes one thing. Those accusations could not be proven. They were weighty complaints, heavy charges, serious allegations, but there was no proof. There was no proof that would stand up in government. They were just accusations, but no Cooperating evidence. There was complaints, but no proof. And so after the prosecution, the accusers presented their case. Paul was given an opportunity to respond. And verse 8 says, he answered it for himself. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. 
So he's being accused of teaching against the Jewish law. He said that is not true. He believed the Old Testament. He had gone to the temple in accordance with the law and purified himself according to the law. He had not desecrated the temple, which was another of their accusations. And the only crime for which he was accused of against Rome would be propagating an unauthorized religion, which we've talked about, or inciting a riot, inciting the mob to an insurrection. And Paul said, I have done none of those things. I've not broken the law of the Jews, I've not desecrated the temple, and I've not broken Caesar's law. If I have, and you can prove it, if I'm guilty of dying, if I've done something worthy of the death penalty, I do not object to dying. But there is nothing in these charges. And so I should not be delivered to them. Therefore, I appeal to Caesar. But Festus wants a compromise. Festus wants to do the Jews a favor. He wants political points. He wants to get off on the right foot. He wants to, uh, uh, to have people in his court. And so he asked Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Festus wants to offer a compromise. Paul is in his custody. He is responsible for his safety. He's responsible to make sure that Paul has due process. But he also wants to do the Jews a favor. So let's do what they say. We can go to Jerusalem and, and, and I will hear your case, but we'll do it in Jerusalem. So Paul was given an opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. Remember his previous tactics. He had set his face to Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem no matter what. He was going to go to Jerusalem. Even though change and tribulations awaited him, he was going to go to Jerusalem. And if he died there, he died there. Nothing could turn him aside. But now, Paul changes his tactics. He will not go to Jerusalem. He will not go to Jerusalem in any circumstance for any reason. And so instead, instead of going to Jerusalem, Paul says, I'm going to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. And so we see a change in his tactics. Before, his face had been set to Jerusalem, nothing could keep him to going, and now nothing can make him go to Jerusalem. He has changed his tactic. The mission is the same, to bear the name of Jesus before Gentiles, before kings, before the children of Israel. The mission is the same, the strategy is the same, the local church, but the tactics are different. Paul will not go to Jerusalem, instead he will go to Rome. There's been a change in Paul's tactics. The other way we see a change of tactics is how he relates to the governor. You remember Festus was an old man, an experienced man. He had a lot of experience in hearing the cases between Christianity and Judaism. He was acquainted with the way of the cross, the message of Jesus, the Christian faith. And he had a wife who was Jewish. And Paul's tactics in dealing with Felix was to wait. Felix deferred his case, kept him in jail, thinking he was doing a favor to the Jews, hoping that Paul would make a bribe, and Paul was content to wait. That whole time, he was a Roman citizen. He had the right to appeal to Caesar, 
He had the right to demand that his rights be honored at any time he could have made the same demand, but he chose to stay in prison. He, he chose to stay in prison in Caesarea. And he chose to wait and to take advantage of the times when Festus and his wife Drusilla would call for him. So Festus, who had a knowledge of the way, who had a Jewish wife, and who liked conversing with Paul, he would call him, and, and when Paul would come, he would not demand his rights, he would not appeal his case to Caesar, he would not demand that he be released, no, he would talk to them about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, that's what we talked about last week. And so Paul was content to wait, not demand his rights, but take advantage of that opportunity to talk to Felix, Drusilla, and the court about the way of the cross, the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus. Righteousness as a gift of God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ, self-control, a, a changed life, enabling us to do that which is pleasing to God, and the judgment to come. Those who have trusted in Christ will be saved uh, Credit, the righteousness of Christ credited to them. Those who have not trusted in Christ will be separated, sent to hell for an eternity of God's wrath and judgment. So Paul, his tactics were to wait and to take advantage of those opportunities to come before Festus and Drusilla in his court and speak about Jesus. But now his tactics have changed. And maybe it's because Felix is younger. Felix doesn't have the same experience uh, adjudicating Cases between Jews and Christians doesn't have the understanding of the way, doesn't have a Jewish wife. And maybe Paul thinks that Felix can be manipulated by, the, by the, the, the Jewish leaders. He's trying to get off on a good step. He's trying to get off on the right foot in his job. He wants to be popular and there's this great mob asking for something. Maybe, maybe Felix would be, be prone to agree to deliver Paul to Jerusalem where he would be ambushed and killed on the way. So whatever reason, Paul changes his tactics. When he's brought before Felix, he doesn't delay, he doesn't wait. He doesn't even speak about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. No, he just simply says, I'm innocent, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't, served, I haven't broken the Jewish law, I haven't defiled the temple, and I haven't broken the laws of Caesar. If I have, prove it, and I'm willing to be punished for my crime, but I will not be judged by the Jews. I should be judged by Caesar. Therefore, I appeal my case. So you see the change of tactics. Before he was content to wait, take advantage of the opportunity, and now, nope, I'm asserting my rights. I appeal to Caesar. And the governor says, to Caesar you shall go. And so in this text we see two significant changes in Paul's tactics related to Jerusalem. Before he, nothing could keep him out of Jerusalem and now nothing can make him go. And before he was content to wait, to be patient, to not assert his rights, to take advantage of the opportunity to speak to the governor about Christ. And now that's changed. I'm going to Rome. I'm appealing my case to Caesar. And that is my new tactics to fulfill the mission of speaking to Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel about the name of Jesus. 
The mission stayed the same. The strategy stayed the same. But the individual tactics have changed. And all of this goes to speak to us. Community of Grace Baptist Church. We've been given a mission by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been given a mission to make disciples. We have been given a mission to take the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. To, to where Christ is not known. To make him known. To make disciples of the Lord Jesus. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. That is our mission statement. That mission statement will never change. It is given to us by our commander-in-chief. And that is uh, the, the task that we are called to accomplish as a New Testament believer's church. Make disciples. And what's the strategy? The strategy is the local church. The local church preaching, speaking, living the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The local church speaking the gospel, sending missionaries, giving funding to organizations to take the name of Jesus. The strategy is the local church kicking down the gates of hell, setting captives free. Strategy's not going to change. Jesus said, I will build my church. But the tactics, the tactics can change based on the situation and based on circumstances. Paul, and, and you know, it's interesting, there is no indication that Jesus spoke to Paul and told him it was time to change his tactics. The last time that Jesus spoke to Paul was when he was in prison in Rome. Over two years before. Two years before, Jesus appears to Paul and reaffirms the mission. In chapter 23, verse 11, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. And so Jesus reaffirms the mission, but there's no indication that Jesus appeared to Paul here and told him it was time to change his tactics. Paul discerned, he looked at the situation, he exercised biblical principles, and he decided it was time to change his tactics. And so many times, the church has to adjust to changing circumstances and changing reality. And we can't just sit back and wait for a word from the Lord to change those individual, individual acts, those step-by-step -step tactics that we have used in order to accomplish the mission in accordance with the strategy. Sometimes we have to evaluate our situation, look at the biblical principles that are at play, and be willing to change our tactics. The strategy does not change the local church. The mission does not change, make disciples. But sometimes there needs to be a change in tactics. Those individual actions, those step-by-step -step activities in accordance with this strategy to accomplish the mission. And I think from, we learn from Paul, we don't just lay around and wait for a word from the Lord. 
with the specific step-by-step instructions. God doesn't give us step-by-step instructions. He gives us the mission. He gives us the overall strategy. And then like those lower-level commanders in Desert Storm, they execute tactics as they see best on the ground in order to accomplish the mission in accordance with the strategy. And that's one of the things that makes the American Army better than all the other armies is those low-level leaders with initiative to adjust the tactics on the ground without waiting for a word from the general or the commander-in-chief. Those captains, those sergeants, adjusting the tactics to the reality of the situation on the ground is what makes our army great. The same is true of the church. We can't just lay around and wait for step-by-step instructions because that's not the way it works. God tells us what to do, make disciples. He tells us the end the end objective, Jesus the King will come and reign in righteousness and justice. And he tells us the strategy, the local church, kicking down the gates of hell, setting the captives free. But he doesn't tell us all the steps in between those two things. He gives us his word. His word has principles. And we have a responsibility to educate ourselves within the principles of the word of God. To evaluate the circumstances, to evaluate the situation. As circumstances and situations change, then we need to be willing to change our tactics. Those individual decisions, those individual choices. Applying the principles of the word of God in the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that God will not tell us every single step, every single action, Everything that will happen between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom. He does not tell us when. He does not tell us how long. He does not give us the specific instructions, but he gives us the initiative, the freedom to apply the principles of the word of God to changing situations and to adjust our tactics accordingly. And we adjust our tactics We've got to have a responsibility to know the word of God, to know the principles that are there, to know the limitations, the thou shalt's and thou shalt not's that we have to operate within. And then in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, through the principles of the word of God, we apply those principles to changing situations and we're, we're able to adjust our tactics. And we can adjust our tactics knowing several things. Number one, we aren't going to mess up his plan. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus will return and he will establish his kingdom. He will reign in righteousness and justice. And so we act with freedom, with liberty, within the principles of the word of God and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, knowing we're not ultimately going to mess it up. His kingdom will come. And we operate knowing that we don't know when, We don't know how long. We don't know all the steps that are going to be taken. We don't know all of the things that will happen between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. But we know we're given the word of God. We're given the Holy Spirit for guidance to help us apply the principles of the word of God to our situation. We know that. And then number three, we know that God will use us in his plan as he wills. And so the time comes when it's time to reevaluate our tactics. The mission doesn't change, make disciples. The strategy doesn't change, 
the local church, kicking down the gates of hell, setting captives free by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. But those step-by-step individual actions have to change sometimes in accordance with the circumstances of changing environment, according to the principles of the Word of God, wisely applied with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Knowing His kingdom will come, it will come in His time and His way, we don't know those things, but we know that God will use us in the accomplishment of His mission as He wills. Paul changed his tactics, and from time to time, we might be asked to do the same. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it, Lord. And we're just thankful for Paul and his wisdom and being able to discern the changing situations and the need to change his tactics. Knowing that the time was right for him to act differently in relationship to Jerusalem and in relationship to the governing authorities. And Lord, we pray that as we navigate, as we are in enemy territory, assigned a mission to make disciples, using the strategy of the local church, two things that will never change. But Lord, help us first to study your word, to know the principles, to know the boundaries, and then within those principles, within those boundaries, to operate with liberty and freedom and wisdom as we seek to be the people that you have called us to be and as we seek to accomplish the mission that you have assigned to make disciples. The strategy of the local church, Lord, grant us wisdom and may our tactics meet the day. May we be wise. And may we seek to obey and to bring you glory in all that we do. Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful and that you would be pleased to make it fruitful and that you would use us, you would be pleased to use us for the furtherance of the kingdom of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.